Hang on. Do we have any housekeeping? Yes, we know we're being recorded. Oh my god. Every every time. Every fucking time. Uh hello. Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Uh it is 12 o'clock on a Saturday, and I have gin in a mug that says I am small and sensitive, but also fight me that features a black cat with a dagger. And it is amazing, and it's from Look Human, and I love it. Yeah, Look Human, not yet a sponsor, but uh, hit us up. We are not just uh, major fans of your product, but we're also whores and shills. <laughs> am I wrong? No. No. <laughs> so, if, if you've figured out that we're already dancing around the point, which is pretty typical for us when we're like, oh God, what did we read? This week's book was uh, Equus. Equus. So- um, it is... I will correct you every time. I took 10 years of fucking Latin for this. I've been training my whole life for this moment. It is It is a play. It is a play. It has been performed by some famous people, which we'll get into later. By a famous person. Relax. Anthony Hopkins <laughs> and Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, right. Yeah. Two famous people. Okay, so maybe we already covered it. But Anthony <laughs> Hopkins was one in one of the original performances as the psychiatrist, which looking on back on his movie career is kind of hysterical to me but anyway yeah that is very funny i was like says the girl who just rewatched silence of the lambs is her comfort film this week i was about to say i don't think you have a lot of legs to stand on in this department but in all fairness i have watched the church fight scene from kingsman about five times just this week i mean it's fair though so i have a question when you hear that song the um come on brain um uh, free bird yes is it just automatically trigger in you now absolutely I, I i mean one i'm a 30 something black woman i don't hear free bird very often <laughs> my own accord i was gonna say Leonard skinner isn't exactly your like go-to listening tori would you like to tell the listeners at home what song i sent you yesterday <laughs> which song did you send me yesterday i messaged tori at her own five o'clock saying i found a club drugs version of lacrimosa oh yeah yeah. sorry it's been it has literally been that kind of week i'm not here to judge i have a miniature disco going on in the background because it feels aesthetic i I can confirm there are lights flashing in the background i want you to have a giant disco ball now buy more merch listeners and i can buy a disco ball it's like christmas is coming christmas is coming so is sawin buy some gifts from your altar that's right we support paganism we might have to considering uh texas decided that women don't have the rights to their bodies which means i get to segue into a segment that i never thought i would have to as a roman catholic thank you to the satanic temple for creating a legal safe haven to allow women autonomy over their bodies i saw the best tiktok video and keep in mind lutheran right lutheran yes Yes. and it was texas how do we get more people for the christian religion and it pops up ban abortion and it goes creates more satanists and the guy goes fuck right that's a hundred percent what just happened is you've now made satanism even more attractive than it already was good job texas we're winning uh just kidding uh Right now, everything is, well, not everything is on fire. The West Coast is on fire. Literally. The East Coast is underwater. And we've gone back to biblical times. Yeah. I remember being a kid and having people be like, no, 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 no. Just remember, Book of Revelations is all symbolic. Now I'm starting to wonder. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it's symbolic. Fun fact, as a kid, that was my favorite book of the Bible, which, again, just... Put that in your timeline of really why did no one listen to Amanda? <laughs> Just go ahead and add that onto the pile of things that should be painfully obvious to how I ended up today. I used to read that in the book of Daniel when I was in church and they were talking about something that had nothing to do with me because I did not like going to youth group because I yeah. felt like they weren't taking the source material seriously yes me at 14 telling my mom i would rather go to big church because i did not feel they were taking it seriously 
Tori, I taught the Holy Trinity using the Egyptian god cards from Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm not here to take this. <laughs> so I found out a very fun fact today, and it's like yes. my favorite thing that I've heard. Yes. And now I have to I have to confirm that this is true. So this is my my uh okay, scholarly okay. warning here. Mm-hmm. So I'd always heard that Alistair Crowley got kicked down the stairs when they kicked him out of the um, Order of the Golden Dawn. Basically, mm-hmm. they were like, get out. Mm-hmm. I found out today that the person who kicked him down the stairs was W.B. Yates, who basically got tired of Alistair standing at the top of the stairs going, I'm going to curse all of you. I'm going to give you all so many spells. And he just went, shut up and kicked him down the stairs. Supposedly, supposedly, regardless, it's a great story. Um, everything that I am seeing is correct. That yes, he did kick him down the stairs. Also, if you guys hear a very, very lovely but ambient clicky clacky, that is my keyboard. It is styled to look like a typewriter with raised keys and it is rainbow. None of this is off brand for you. Uh, I can take a picture for the website. But if you hear a very pleasant clicky clacky, it's me doing other things because I have ADHD, which I'm going to tack out onto the list of things that I feel like I always knew. But it's weirdly comforting to have a diagnosis. (laughs) What's really interesting is I've met a lot of women and women presenting people who've gotten much older and... Mm -hmm then they're diagnosed with ADHD because when they were kids, they were just told it was be a behavioral issue. Right. And now yeah. as adults, it's like, oh, because it, it can be harder to diagnose in women. Absolutely. So can autism. Absolutely. Because we don't let people just be people. Well, and also, I think, I think the thing is, is I wonder how much of it just because I know at least like me being black and female how much I just don't talk about symptoms like we've talked about the sad bitch button which update I told my therapist about the sad bitch button and he demanded royalties if we sell it <laughs> uh, for those of you who need an update on the sad bitch button it is a uh, upon learning that my teletherapist could summon an ambulance if I say the magical words that get me in mental health lockdown, uh, I am a danger to myself or others. Uh, I always imagine being like an ejector seat, like you just press like the sad bitch button and like an ambulance zooms in. We're not talking about the book because I don't want to talk about the book or the play. Uh, I really wish we just talked about Amadeus, which means we just get to watch the movie. I mean, we still can. No, we can't. All right. No. So I'm in a short story long for you so you can understand why I had a shot of vodka sitting next to a glass of champagne on the Instagram. Um, Yeah, it was a very atmospheric uh, drink set. Actually, so the pineapple soda is a Haritos because this is indeed still San Antonio. It's so good. Gin. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and gin. It's a Bombay Sapphire because I plan on doing something with the bottle. Uh, shameless plug, I sell things at Alamo Craft Company. So I plan on doing things with the mini bottle of Bombay Sapphire. I don't know what yet. That's fabulous. Go short story long. So there's a reason we've creatively titled this episode Legal Only in Washington State. Accurate. So Dr. Martin Dizert is a psychiatrist who works at a psychiatric hospital but he is over his job he's overdoing this because he says no matter what he does it's a never-ending stream of adolescent boys he's expected to make normal and send back out into the world he's obsessed with greece and greek mythology and sort of just wants to fade out and focus on gods and worship and all that historical stuff he's incredibly unhappy in his marriage um all of this is happening in strolls Heather Solomon, a court magistrate who is there to talk about the case of a 17-year-old boy named Alan Strang. Mm-hmm. Strang has blinded six horses in a barn, but no one can figure out why he did it, and he refuses to communicate and instead sings television advertising jingles, which Dizzard sees firsthand. Mm-hmm. Dizzard has a really weird dream, and he talks about it 
where he was in Homeric Greece, and he was presiding over a mass ritual sacrifice where he kept cutting open hundreds of kids and pulling out their entrails to basically figure out the future, which he's a therapist. This kind of makes sense, but that's a whole other thing. Indeed. Disgusted by his actions in the dream, but worries that if anyone sees him as a non-believer, they will gut him too. The other priests eventually realize he's not into it, grab their knives to kill him, but he wakes up. Desert ends up talking to Alan's parents and figures out pretty quickly that Alan has some fucked up religious trauma. Dora, his mom, is very devout as a Christian and reads to Alan daily from the Bible and even gave him a very violent scene of the crucifixion that once hung in his room, like over his bed where he could see it Mm -hmm. Uh, before going to sleep. You know, that's totally normal, right? Yeah, a chill thing. His dad, Frank, on the other hand, is an atheist and instead played games where he and Alan would ask each other questions and they had to be answered honestly. He got upset over the picture of the crucifixion, took it off the wall, and replaced it with a picture of a horse with large eyes that looked like they were staring at Alan. Like mother horse, like mother horse eyes. Alan admits to the doctor that he started to be attracted to horses because of the biblical stories his mom told him about horses, as well as Westerns. And his grandfather's interest in horses, because his grandfather used to ride them professionally. Dora's family is rich. Obviously, Frank's family is not. Mm -hmm. There's a whole class thing anyway. There is. Yeah. Um, It's that that tried and true trope of the woman who thinks that she's marrying for love and marries into a uh, poor family relationship and then is always constantly being a dick to the man who was poor, who was like, I told you this in the beginning. This is true. It's true. Um, Alan's mom tried to teach him that Alan could only find true love with religious devotion and marriage. Alan develops a weird sexual attraction to horses. He wants to pet their coats, feel the muscles of their bodies, and smell and drink their sweat. Uh, He first encountered a real horse when he was six years old at the beach. The rider helped him get up on the horse. He was very happy. They were going very fast. And then his dad ripped him off the horse and threatened the rider, which the guy's like, geez, dude, calm down. Dr. Distort uses hypnosis on Alan and talks about details from his horror dream. Um, He jogs Alan's memory by asking questions and trying to get him to fill in the blanks, which is a method that is not suggested. Um, Alan tells the doctor he wants to remove the bits from the horses as that's what enslaves them. He starts talking about getting a job in a shop where he meets a girl named Jill Mason. Jill had come into the store to purchase blades for a horse clipper, so very convenient. Jill introduces Alan to a stable owner, Harry Dalton, and she suggests that Harry hire Alan since he seems to have a very serious passion for horses. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dissert meets up with Harry Dalton and asks him about Alan. Harry says that Alan used to be a really good worker, and he was very close with a horse named Nugget. I'm going to pause briefly because my daughter just came in the room and I really don't want to talk about horse fixation while she's in here. Are you just getting a towel? Okay, grab some toilet paper. Hi, Uh, Fishy. Amanda says hi. I don't know if she can hear me. She's digging through toilet paper. Hi. Okay. Amanda says hi. 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 Listeners, you get a small view into my life. (laughs) <laughs> yes love you, love you. i just don't want to scar you prematurely okay. or at least not intentionally you probably already have unintentionally oh yeah no i totally scarred her i'm a terrible mm-hmm. just kidding um so he was really close with a horse named nugget and we get the idea that alan is erotically fixated on nugget aka mm-hmm. Equus. we find mm-hmm. out alan was taking him out for midnight rides without a saddle and Alan was also naked, as you guys can probably tell why I waited for her to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, in these rides, Alan pretended to be the king of the god Equus so they could team up and destroy their enemies. We stop there for a minute and move into act two, because I'm pretty sure that everyone needed a break to go get more alcohol when this was being performed. Yeah, there's a lovely little intermission uh, in this play, and I always love intermissions because like what the fuck like you just you just have to sit there and be uncomfortable with your thoughts for a few minutes in the public bathroom 
so the start of act two makes me laugh because all i can think of is that movie the birdcage yes where they're giving him um giving nathan lane purin tablets which Mm -hmm. is basically just scraping the a off aspirin Mm -hmm. but nathan lane's character believes that that's the only thing keeping them going anyway Mm -hmm. desert ends up giving alan aspirin and he pretends that it's a truth pill because Mm -hmm. alan is admitted to being afraid to tell the whole truth also sorry as someone who has aspirin sensitive asthma don't do that to people without asking yeah just sorry a little medical just a little medical note there continue this is one of those reasons that when you go to the doctor or something like that they tell you not to share your medications with other people yeah aspirin sensitive asthma is fascinating because it like strips the lining off of our lungs so like don't do that to us yeah it's not fun so don't do that to us please you're okay with ibuprofen though right i can i can take acetaminophen and i can take okay take acetaminophen I'm not supposed to take ibuprofen because of Frederick, uh, but I can't do aspirin. Okay. So in the event of a heart attack, just let me die. I was going to say, I'm going to need Tylenol in my house. (laughs) In the event of a heart attack, just let me die. I mean, okay. (laughs) Oh, continue. Okay. So now with the Purin tablets and anyway, um, Alan starts talking about having sex with Jill. Mm-hmm. She was very into Alan and asked him to take her to a porn theater, which neither of them had ever gone to before. They were trying to be edgy and exciting. So, of course, the very first person they run into is Alan's dad, Frank, mm-hmm. which trauma, trauma yes. is problem. So Alan is super traumatized by this. His dad tries to be like, oh, all men do this. All men do this. It's totally fine. And he's like, this is crazy. He won't go with his dad, who's like trying to drive him home. He instead says he's going to walk Jill home. And she ends up convincing him to come to the stables with her. She decides to try to seduce Alan and they attempt to have sex. But Alan Mm -hmm. hears the horses in the stables and can't get an erection. And she's like, this happens to a lot of men. Don't worry about it. But instead, he yells at Jill to leave and Jill fucking bails. Jill being the only intelligent person in this entire play, it feels like. Yes. Alan walks into the barn naked, begs the horses on bended knee to forgive him. He hears Equus calling to him and telling him that Alan belongs only to him. Alan hears this in Dr. Distort's voice, which is super creepy. Indeed. He starts yelling that God sees and uses a steel spike to blind six horses. Mm-hmm. He has a final monologue, to, or Dizzard has a final monologue in the play talking about his practice, what methods will actually help, and how Alan he will be made normal, but it will ruin his remaining humanity. What the fuck did you just make me read? Um, Something that Dr. Diaz made me read my sophomore year. Dang it, Dr. Diaz. And like, she was so proud of making us read this. And like, this was... Okay, so let me set the scene for you. See, it's a pun because this is a play. I uh, <laughs> see what you did there. This was actually right around the time that the Daniel Radcliffe play came out. So any discussion or dissertation about this endeavor inevitably led down a rabbit hole that Draco Malfoy found himself down, which was Daniel Radcliffe's asshole. Oh my gosh. You're welcome for that. You can tell that Amanda wrote Harry Potter fan fiction. Yes, I did. Harry Potter slash fan fiction. Absolutely. So we all got to find ourselves in a similar position that Draco Malfoy found himself in many, many a times, staring at Daniel Radcliffe's ass. Um, it absolutely permeated every aspect of discourse around this play. Um, in hindsight, to me, that is the least offensive part of this play. that is in hindsight that is the least offensive aspect of all of the other fuckery going on i think this wins the award for white people fuckery and fiction i think this is it i think this is the top award for this some white people shit (laughs) because there's just 
no way. Man, Come I can't on. wait to tell you about Schaefer's life, man. I mean, I know about Schaefer's life because I've seen Amadeus. Tori, I am an elder bisexual millennial. I know about Schaefer. I am an elder millennial who is a raging bisexual. I know about Peter Schaefer. I have I seen his oeuvre. I laughed because Amanda was apologizing to me that we read this book or this play. And I was like, don't worry. In college, I thought I was cool and I was going to read the works by the Marquis de Sade. So unfortunately. And then what was my reply to you? That you had an illustrated version of it that you read on the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will not outweird me. I I'm win. not trying to. I, win. I guarantee you. This is a contest that you will not win. Let's put it this I, way. I've yes. got about six years on Amanda about yes. six years on Amanda and somehow every time I is outdone the crazier life <laughs> oh this is my life this is my existence all right uh so do you want to do a little bit of theming even though I don't think either of us really want to oh so we're going to talk about well first of all we've already kind of mentioned this equus means horse in latin it does it's where we get us wine and equine equine and equestrian Uh, sorry where where did you throw an s in i tried was thinking esquire that's what what the problem is i was reading esquire and i was like that's what it says okay so i hate that i can still conjugate this down it's equus equum it's like it's as us um I hate that I can still conjugate this in Latin and I can also still recite a lot of Anna et Rana, which is literally just like a poem about a frog and a young lady that's like very like Latin 101. Everyone Latin 101 knows Anna et Rana. So if you were a Latin student in America, I probably just triggered you a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, it's where we get the term equestrian and the equine field. as a black person who likes horses, which apparently this is somewhat rare in modern times, not in historical times. I know about black cowboys. I know about that. I have also seen Django Unchained. <laughs> you made me watch Django Unchained. I did make you watch Django Unchained. And you liked it. I did. Mostly because I love Christoph uh, Waltz. Uh, oh, I have another Game of Thrones character to add to the list of do I have daddy issues or, or is this just bad? Uh-oh. Jamie Lannister. Oh my gosh. No, that's understandable. He's so cute. You know how awkward it is? Every test you take, it tells you you're a Lannister. Every test I take tells me I'm a Slytherin and a Lannister. And I'm like, that's hysterical, but Okay. Uh, I'm aggressively Slytherin, but also aggressively either Tyrell or like I think the ones I got Martell. Uh, yeah, I can see you as a Martell, more a Tyrell, but I can see you as a Martell. I would be so distracted by Auburn. Oh my gosh, easily. You love Pedro Pascal. So hot. I have such questionable. I almost said fictional men. Pedro Pascal's a real person. <laughs> it's already been a long day. Okay. Dropped, yes we're gonna move into religious trauma and sexual trauma <laughs> uh yeah do you want to go a little bit more into horses and why they matter or do you want to save that let's talk about horses first because for some reason i don't know why that makes me feel less terrified i was not a horse girl as a kid just in case you guys were you wondering. know what i wasn't either but i've ridden horses multiple times i'm actually quite good on horseback um you know what? If you've never ridden a horse, it is a shockingly like just body experience. Because one, they're huge. You get a lot of exercise riding a horse because your mm-hmm. body, you're having to like kind of adjust the entire mm-hmm. time. I haven't done it since I was like 14. And I have no yeah. like I'm not a horse person. Like I will pat their little sweet noses if I'm at a farm and they're cool. Um, and I'm given the opportunity and ask to, but mm-hmm. like, I, I don't think that I'm going to walk out to a field and tame black beauty. That's not something I've ever been into. 
cat. That also sounds hella problematic for some reason. Like the mouthfeel of that just, I don't know. I'm not crazy about the way that that sits on the tongue. I'm sorry, friend. (laughs) I don't know what it is about this particular day. I'm going to blame the Bombay Sapphire. (laughs) That doesn't sit right on the tongue for some reason. I'm actually uh, embarrassed because I didn't have any Russian vodka. I just had Svetka. And I'm like... Oh yeah, Svetka's well. not Russian. I found out this whole... Th- okay, so I'm reading a book right now, sorry, side note, called Vodka Politics. Mm-hmm. And it was about how there was a whole case where they tried to claim that uh, Russian vodka was the only real vodka. And there was a debate with Poland. But all of the information that was provided that trying to claim that russia was the first place with there where there was vodka mm-hmm. like was fake because the information was faked by this historian and i'm like okay go on and then yes. that historian ended up being brutally murdered in the early 2000s um and when they found him he his body he was he had a huge alcohol like level in his bloodstream mm-hmm. but the man didn't drink so he was poisoned? Yeah. He oh, was probably cool. killed by what is no longer called the KGB. Anyway, but it's still the KGB. On. I love how Putin never denies that somebody's been attacked by the KGB, but then he just does the thing of if we wanted you dead, you'd be dead. Cuz yeah. he's KGB? Yeah. Uh, I default to John Oliver's stance on Putin that the person with the most dangerous job in all of Russia is Putin's daughter's uh, aerobic dance partner husband who has to fling Putin's daughter into the air. Yep. I default that that is the man with the most dangerous job in all of Russia. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, John Oliver talks about Putin. We'll link somewhere in the comments. I'm like taking the note already. All right. Uh, So horses are oftentimes a symbol of masculine power of virility of fertility and strength and passion you know they run wild and year old girls yeah and they do a lot of the sex and people watch for some reason um poor sex I, not 12 year old girls i mean some people unfortunately do that as well but we're not going to talk about that here it's bad enough that we're talking about horse sex <laughs> um it's actually one of those weird, like, early sexual fantasies that a lot of young women have, uh, mostly just because, I guess, access. Like, horse girls are a thing for a reason, especially in places that they're everywhere. Like, we live in Texas, where realistically, if we went down the right part of Culebra, I promise you, there is a sad horse in someone's yard. What's crazy, too, is out here, we have the concept of rodeo queens. And we're talking, they, they start young. They so do. You have- young girls who are in a pageant system where i love pageant systems i am a pageant queen we've already figured this out um but at the same time there are some pageants that lean more towards that over sexualization i tend to be in more natural category mostly because i'm a big girl mm-hmm. um but glitz pageants make me super uncomfortable that's more like toddlers and tiaras so mm-hmm. you have five-year-olds who are made up to look like 45 year olds and i'm not okay with that which whatever um so we have very very young girls who are sexualized very early and mm-hmm. then are riding horses because mm-hmm. that's part of the pageant category mm-hmm. now i know a lot of super functional amazing human beings that are rodeo queens and it helped them find their own power and all that kind of thing but you got to think about that kind of um symbolism going into it too right um but horses have for many many years been a symbol of masculine power and of virility not that women weren't also you know associated with that but you think about centaurs and stuff and you know the horse part is the wild part uh, actually this weekend i'm going to mustang island uh which is all about like horse symbolism and the spanish thought the horses were super cool so cool that they had to slaughter them all isn't it down there like padre and Porte? it is okay because i was like i've driven across it yeah so I'm going to Corpus uh, for the Liberty weekend. I know I'm traveling. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, mask, you already know that. I don't know why I will. I'm telling you that. I'm also going to fight a bunch of people at the Statue of Selena again. Yes! Stop fucking touching her. If you love her, 
stop having your oily, greasy, disgusting fingers all over her. I just had this image of you pulling a Pedro Pascal with the lasso from um, Kingsman the 2. Kingsman movie. Yes. Which is uh, Como de Flor. Yes. Oh my gosh, if you're going to fight yes. people at the Selena statue, I have a whole scenario for you. Yes. Uh, but yeah, like we, we have these, we have the symbol of horses in our collective consciousness. Um, horses are, I don't want to say very smart. They're fine. Uh, there's a bunch of great TikToks that are farmers and some of the horses are just dumb as rocks. Like they are. <laughs> some of them. I'm sure you've seen the one that has um, the woman with a bunch of horses that have dead time. Where they yeah, just like Squidward, are you dead? Yes. And people like, call all the time to be like, I think your horse is dead. She's like, no, they're just sunning themselves. Right. Like they're just sleeping and like vibing, which very relatable, honestly. But like, I, I kind of, I like horses as a utility, but like in the fanciful sense, I think that's weird. Like I've ridden horses. I liked barrel racing. I would ride horses again. But like the whole it's such a strong bond between person and horse. Like, are you fucking your horse? <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it's weird. Also, I will say during a formative year of my life, like the sexual awakening pear tree, my horseback riding instructor was a cute little twinkish man named Bo. And he rode bareback on a Clydesdale. And watching like his legs spread like yay wide on a horse was like that was a lovely experience until he had to get me off of my horse because I was thrown and hanging by my shirt from a saddle horn oh no (laughs) it's also the interesting thing about the the sexuality relating to horses is why women in the cultural elite and like the UK and stuff like that were always told to ride side saddle same thing when they came over to the U.S. as well Yes. It's this concept of you don't want to have your legs spread over a horse because that yes. could be, you know, too much sexual power for a woman to handle. So no, your legs also, over the side and you need yeah. to be graceful. And it's a very uncomfortable way to ride. I actually think that side saddle is more comfortable, I guess, because I have a very, very short torso and no legs. Uh so the side saddle for me is a lot more comfortable. It also gives me a lot less of uh, boob bounce. The dangers of having a large chest. Right, because I could probably give myself a black eye on a galloping horse. <laughs> so, yeah. We'll say one of my favorite things are the yoga instructors who specifically work with big girls with big breasts and are like, okay. We're going to modify this so you don't give yourself a black eye. I think my favorite is uh, there was a woman who did inversion for back pain because she had an enormously large bust. So they basically like plank you where you're like secured to a beam and then you just tilt back. And she actually died that way. She suffocated in her own bust. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's like, that's a hell of a way to go. (laughs) Anyways, you want some men out there are like yeah you're like no There's, fuck i yes suffocation is, is no fun y'all i think she fell asleep and suffocated like it wasn't like an act of suffocation because then she would have fucking fought her tits <laughs> phrases i did not expect to hear today you're welcome you're welcome uh so I think that means that we need to talk about something that we don't want to talk about, which is religious trauma and sexual trauma. As you may have noticed, we both have a little bit of religious trauma. I don't know if I'd call mine trauma. Mm, I'm going to call mine trauma because trauma okay, is just okay. a way that I don't affecting on your brain. Okay, yeah. So I'll give it that I have that trauma from people, not the institution. It is people, not the institution. Okay, there That's we go. Because I was 100%. like, I don't have institutionalized religious trauma. Like, I didn't have a lot of, like, the angst and stuff over, like, oh, God doesn't want me to be gay. Not invalidating that for others. I just didn't have that. I um, was raised evangelical from a very early age. Oh, so. wait, I do have religious trauma from institutions. My dad's crazy 
anti-science church. I'm a liar. I blocked that from my memory. I tried not to call your dad's church a snake handler church, but um, um, I don't know if I'd call it a church anymore either. Also, why do her churches keep hunting doves? Doves? Yeah. That seems like a complete opposite thing because the like I passed a sign going right? to work and it said like the annual dove hunt. And my dad's church that I don't think I'd call a church uh, did a dove hunt. And it's like, isn't this literally antithetical to what Jesus said? I don't think Jesus said this. I don't, I've read the Bible multiple times and in multiple languages and nowhere did I remember him saying, take a bunch of grape shot to some chill birds. So I have a, I have an amazing friend named Corey who does a podcast, which we affectionately call Joag, which is, um, come on brain jack of all graves they're amazing ah. Corey has an entire episode on religious trauma in the evangelical church and ex mm-hmm. being ex-evangelicals now i still follow god i'm still big jesus supporter um but i also think that human beings get it wrong we are by nature fallible. I don't care if you're the Pope. I'm sorry to offend the Catholic friend here. Um, yeah. <laughs> it human beings take a message and we screw it up a lot. I because I'm a Lutheran, I believe that we're saved by grace. I believe that we can do good works and we should do good works because we want to show that we are true believers in Jesus versus being a dick bag. Now, I don't think that those good works are like earn you a get into heaven free card. Never felt that way. Um, But I do feel like human beings will use anything that they can to get power. And unfortunately, as we've seen in Texas this week, um, there are people who hide behind the Bible and say, well, this is what God said. And it's like, no, you're reading a version that has been translated over and over and over and over again. Now, the core beliefs come through, and I get that, but there are certain things that we can't even follow anymore in the Old Testament because the temple no longer exists. It's gone, Mm -hmm. friends. Okay? Jesus said it was more important to worry about what came out of your mouth versus what goes into your mouth. Okay? Which I think is hysterical Mm -hmm. because it meant food, but we won't go into that. Um, Correct. So it's something that's always really bothered me where it's a, I'm going to take this text and use it for my own benefit and to control people who I think need to be controlled because if we give them too much power, oh mm-hmm. God, they could go crazy. And unfortunately, that's mm-hmm. a lot of what we see. Now, the best part is these are also the people to tie it back to horses who are taking horse dewormer against fda recommendation to try and fight a disease that <laughs> realizes real um i love how many stores have had to put up notices that say if you can't show me a picture of your horse i'm not selling invectin to you but just let no this is the ghost of charles darwin just let it work just let no this is finally this is what we've been waiting for it's the ghost of Charles Darwin. I did see yes. that Invectin does also reduce sperm count in men. So this crazy could be a blessing. Yes. I didn't mean to go full like Slytherin in that moment, but I'm not uh, going to back down from that. Uh, so here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Uh, Religious trauma is really, really hard to get over because it's not always seen as, uh, you know, real and trauma, which is sad, honestly, but it's also just very unfortunately, um, it's damaging in a lot of ways that I think are very sight unseen. Um, Think about just the little things in our lives that are still somehow ruled by that aspect of it. I know like for me, uh, a lot of it still goes around how the death of my parents was processed through the church. Um, Again, like my dad's cult, we're just gonna call a spade a spade, how they essentially abandoned the family after we left the fold. 
um, and then how the Catholic Church was so procedural with like my mom's death. Like there's just like a notebook and then like you slot in the name. <laughs> like that's a trauma and it sucks. And I don't think that we're gonna go specifically into the sexual trauma that uh, the church has covered up for many, many, many years uh, because I don't want to. We all know yelling at Catholics is not how you fix it. Uh, yeah, sorry, it's just yelling at lot. your individual neighborhood Catholic is not going to change a systemic problem. Absolutely not. Um, absolutely not. Yelling at your local neighborhood Catholic is not going to fix it. Uh, yell at the Pope. Something that I feel is very important to say is mm-hmm. that if your religion is telling you to hate somebody, Mm -hmm. Or your religion is telling you that unless you follow these five procedures and give me nine ninety five, that's probably not a good place for you to be. Right. And I also, I guess like this is me trying to like save Catholic face for some reason. Also know that the problem with us being fallible is that we've been giving the, we've been given these words that frankly don't make sense and have been told to make sense of them for thousands of years and we've made some really really shitty choices based on those words just as a society as a population but because of that is also left a lot of room for people who don't listen to those words and still practice and teach and are loving mm-hmm. that doesn't take away from the shitty ones but I think that's another big part of why I'm so anti-yelling at individual Catholics also just because it's rude it's just really fucking rude to just yell at individual Catholics who aren't doing something bad. But no, if you're I, a rapist, you feel, feel free to yell at the rapist. But yeah, happily, happily. Actually, a um, side gig that I want is I want to be one of those people that uh, protects women's privacy going into abortion clinics with like umbrellas and stuff and yelling at people who are protesting outside. I really want to do that because fuck anyone who's yelling at women going through this like just a blanket heads up if that is somehow a shocking statement coming out of my mouth you've never listened to this podcast um. <laughs> well in my in my opinion it takes two to tango absolutely um but yeah like i i, I want to give some credence to those that are in the faith that are doing good work but i also equally would like to condemn everyone who has made a twisted perversion out of god's words that were never meant to stand the test of time the way that they have. I mean, hell, we had people using this to fight witches. We have people, or had people, and probably still do, who use the Bible to keep people in slavery. Oh, absolutely. Uh, This is your periodical reminder. If you're not watching Crash Course Black American History, you need to get on that shit. It's really good. It's some it's good really soup. Good. You need to get on that shit. Uh, it makes me hate America a little bit more every time. <laughs> Which, valid and realistic. I just deleted my first air quotes problematic tweet on TikTok or my first problematic comment on TikTok. I feel proud of myself. Look at me avoiding cancellation yet again. I honestly do feel that people can learn and can change, Absolutely. but you have Absolutely. to want to. Well, have no, to- not that. Not just that you have to want to. You have to know that what you're doing isn't right. Right. And so many people don't even get to that step. Let's let's pause there as far as religious indoctrination. That's the biggest problem. There's the fucking rub. It isn't that they want to have to be better. They don't know better exists. <laughs> this is all they've known is being a bigot, is being a misogynist, is being a racist, is being a homophobe, a transphobe, all of the phobes. That's all they've known is white supremacy, which the church does preach a lot of white supremacy. If you don't know that, just deal with it. Uh, fun fact, none of the people in the Bible were white. I was going to say, Church is an institution. Church is an institution. And that, well, not as an institution, I just people, as people, well, mm-hmm. people who tried to form an institution. Um, it's hard. It's really hard, especially when you truly believe something 
and you truly believe that there is good in it yes um i have seen amazing people like jen hatmaker have their entire lives turned upside down because she did something as radical as being like why are we hating gay people mm-hmm. what's what what possible good could come out of this yeah i mean it's a lot honestly and to give you a bingo dot it could be a whole other podcast so we're going to talk about sexual trauma <laughs> uh, uh by say we're going to talk about sexual trauma i mostly want to spend some time talking about um paraphilias and that also i don't like this part about the book which is not every person who experiences sexual trauma is likely to become a horse fucking deviant. Uh, many of us are, I don't want to say fine, but are not horse fucking deviants. We're deviants in other ways. <laughs> and some of us aren't deviants at all. This feels like one of those times where I just want to like throw glitter at this particular part of the podcast. Yeah, I would like to not talk about it either, but Peter Schaefer made us talk about it. Um, so a paraphilia is an attachment to something that is not exactly normal sexually. Um, it has a lot of overlap with things that we are uncomfortable in general talking about in society because we're still really bad about talking about sex. As much sex bombards every aspect of our existence, including the sexualization of young girls, we really don't like having frank discussions about sex um, unless we like doing it to lampoon others. Like uh, the show that comes to mind is like My Strange Addiction um, where they'll go over a bunch of paraphilias like lunars or people who are sexually attracted to balloons or inflatables. Yes, I know what that word is off the top of my head. No, I am not gross in that way. Um, what? I just love it. No, I'm not gross in that way. I mean, I'm gross, just not in that way. I just or, like to remind people that clown porn exists. That's all. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to get the other nose honked. I don't know. That felt weird. I don't like that statement. I regret that say, statement. What did you say earlier? That has a weird mouth feel. Yeah, that has a very weird mouth feel. I'm not crazy about, I'm not crazy about that one. Um, for people who are sexually attracted to buildings. Uh, my favorite being the woman who is still fighting France to have the Eiffel Tower moved so that they can be married. And France is like, no. <laughs> just, just a very soft no. Uh, but yeah, like paraphilias do exist. Some of them are bad, like zoophilia, necrophilia, there are paraphilias that are bad. Um, I don't want to talk about how many times pedophiles try to sneak into the LGBT community. Because they sure do love trying to sneak in, saying that, oh, they're trans-ageous. <laughs> Which is hard because then the LGBT community gets a whole thing where people are like, well, clearly if we approve gay marriage they're going to start wanting to marry animals. It's like, no, 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 God, no. It's so exhausting. And it's all, like, especially like with the pedophilia one, that one always hurts a little bit more because it's like, well, you let them in. Like we have not let them in. We have been closing this gate for a while what's fascinating too is a lot of scholars have gone back and read about the particular laws of judaism and things that moses was was talking about in regards to uh, well what they presume was moses talking about um sexual relations there the bible no no i was was like were you there i I was not even a twinkle in my great 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 grandfather's eye at that point um there's a belief by some scholars that the original text was talking more about preventing uh, pedophilia, especially in relation to the Greeks um, and their particular ways of taking certain people under their wing and less about same-sex marriage, which is interesting. Yeah. No, that, that is a whole other field. That's a yeah, whole there's a whole other field that we're not going to discuss because neither of us are technically religious scholars. 
Uh, but sexual trauma is real. Uh, not it doesn't make everyone a horse fucker. That's all I'm going to say. About it. <laughs> no, I feel like that's the big takeaway here. Just because yeah. you have been traumatized sexually does not mean that you're going to wake up one morning and blind six horses. Right. Like it definitely is damaging, and I don't want to take that away from anyone. Uh, but it does not automatically make you a horse fucker. <laughs> that's a decision. That's a choice. Uh, do we want to talk about how particularly bad a therapist uh, Dr. Bastard is? I have some very serious concerns about him and his licensing procedures. I also have some concerns. Would you like to expound upon your concerns and perhaps uh, we have some corroboration in that? What's interesting to me is his whole discussion about his dream, right? Mm-hmm. First, don't tell people that. Don't tell, yeah, don't don't tell people no. that. No. I wonder if he has his own therapist because one of the kind of things that we don't really talk about in the United States, but is something that's fairly common is that a therapist will have their own therapist. Yes. So they can deal with the traumas that they've taken on from somebody else. You Mm -hmm. even see things like that in Hannibal, which is obviously fictional, but (laughs) thank you for clarifying that he has his own therapist, right? Yes. That's, that's fairly common. Um, I don't know that desert has one. I don't know that he has anyone to talk to because he sure shit isn't talking to his wife. No. Um, he tends to say a lot of things to Alan that are completely inappropriate for a mental health professional, mm-hmm. um, especially manipulation um, with fake medication. And I know mm-hmm. he tries to portray it as, oh, look, 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 he's doing something. He's doing an unorthodox treatment to, to help mm-hmm. this child. There are cases where he basically is trying to get Alan to fill in the blanks. He's leading him. Mm-hmm. And that's something that if you study things like the satanic panic and things like that, where you see where a lot of young children were traumatized because they were fed information and that information became their whole world because it just there's a great new york times documentary on that that talks about um oh god what was that like pre-k where all those kids were led into thinking that they were abused oh my gosh it was in california mckinnon no hang on hang on i just did an entire podcast on the satanic panic in texas um so fun fact we have um this these four lesbian women who were um Nick Martin for for fake claims from small children yeah. who were led. Yeah. Uh, McMartin preschool. Yes. And interestingly enough, the McMartin preschool is to date the most expensive legal case and representation in the United States court system. Yeah. Almost as bad as Tawana Brawley. That one I don't know. Oh. Now I need to look it up uh okay for our listeners at home uh so when people say that they don't like reverend dallas sharpton tawana brawley is the reason so tawana brawley was a young black woman in the i want to say like 80s 90s and uh she turns up at like someone's door she's a mess she's beaten her hair is a mess she has uh the n-word like scrawled under her body like she's a literal mess like she's a poop covered mess and she says that she was raped by a bunch of white men and everyone you know tried to rally to her side but there were a lot of inconsistencies in her story so reverend al sharpton and some other like major black players of the time were like oh the police are covering this up it was the white the white man and everything but there were still a lot of inconsistencies in her story uh turns out hoax very elaborate hoax. Uh, and I do not say this to invalidate real people who are brutalized. To Tawana Brawley said us all back many, many years. But uh, turns out it was a very elaborate hoax. And then Al Sharpton had to do like the most aggressive backpedal, like Olympics level backpedaling of like, oh, well, we just ran with the case because we believed Tawana. It's like, yeah, but she was lying to you. And you kept saying that she wasn't. So even if you're running with it, you ran with her, sir. Uh, That's another uh, really, really good New York Times documentary. I will link both in show notes. I was like, just tell me where to link. I'll link it. Yeah, uh, Tawana Brawley, that's a rough one, to be perfectly honest. Uh, 
I mean, not like any of these are easy. Not like we. <laughs> Do we often have any like chill show notes? No, our show notes usually involve people who are naked while writing or. Just that one time. <laughs> Literally just the one time. <laughs> it was one time. And it has become a near fixture of this podcast. Nude while writing. I mean, we we made a sticker for it. So we did make a sticker for it. Uh, also, there's a really really good New York Times documentary about uh, how the dingo ate that one uh, person's baby and how it became a cultural phenomenon. And how people didn't believe the the poor freaking mother and started blaming her when it literally happened. Anyway, that's one of those that's- cases that pisses me off, and they were awful to her because they were so mean to her they were terrible oh oh like for no reason they were so fucking mean to her and like a lot of it was because of her religion a lot of it was because you know she didn't apparently look like a grieving mother what the fuck does a grieving mother look like i made jokes the entire time my mom was being buried like i was the comedian of the room i probably looked like a serial killer ah but yeah that dingo ate that one woman's baby and it was really really sad um okay so we're done talking about sexual trauma because i don't want to talk about it anymore do you want to talk about peter schaefer as a man? um so peter schaefer was born in liverpool in 1926 so we actually have somebody who was in this kind of era mm-hmm. uh he was jewish his twin mm-hmm. brother anthony schaefer is also a writer Mm-hmm. Um, Peter went to St. Paul School in London, but he ended up getting a scholarship for Trinity College, Cambridge, not to be confused with Trinity College in Dublin. Um, because they will fight. Schaefer was a Bevan boy, which is something I just learned about. Um, that means he was conscripted, conscripted, conscripted there we to go. work yeah. in a coal mine in Britain mm-hmm. during World War II so that they can increase coal production. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, this was a very dangerous job. Um, people did get hurt. People did get di- did die. But mm-hmm. because they were on home soil, a lot of times people were awful to them. And they gave them crap, calling them draft dodgers. Or the local police would be like, what are you doing out of uniform? All kinds of stuff. Now, keep in mm-hmm. mind, they were doing their war effort. But it mm-hmm. wouldn't take, it. like, this wasn't something that was recognized as war service until 1995 so roughly about the same era we finally got england to admit that the uh, potato family was a real thing that they caused anyhow um bevan boys were a real thing they really did support the war service but they had the double thing of going into coal mines which were super dangerous and then getting out and getting beat up by police who said they were draft dodgers anyway Mm -hmm. um he also worked as a bookstore clerk and an assistant mm-hmm. at the New York Public Library when he lived out in the United States for a while. Mm-hmm. His first play was called The Salt Land, and it was performed in 1955. Mm-hmm. Um, Equus was a play he wrote in 1973, and it ended up winning both the Tony Award and the New York Drama Critics Circle Award for Best Play. So it's a good play. It's just... Yeah. Um, in 1979, he wrote the play Amadeus, which became the film and later won eight Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Yes. Um, Equus, um, Anthony Hopkins won a Drama Desk Award for playing Dr. Dizzard in the play, mm-hmm. which, again, to me, feels like training for playing Hannibal Lecter and being one of our uh, most infamous monsters in film. Accurate. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe from Harry Potter got in big trouble when he was 17 because he played Alan Strang in a version of Equus and everybody was like, this is inappropriate. Um, from all accounts, he did a great job. Um, sure. Role. And I feel like that was when Radcliffe was trying to distance himself from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody's really paid too much attention, but all the roles that he's taken since have been very interesting and very different from the boy who lived um yeah i mean you see that a lot with child actors though like they go through like this crazy phase uh personally i don't care that much about daniel radcliffe as a person uh like as, as in he can do the hell he wants <laughs> like i'm proud of him he's choosing very 
difficult roles and he's mm-hmm. performing them well. But I do also get that it's you wanting to separate yourself from being typecast. Absolutely. Roe had this problem. Uh, a lot of character actors that we know in current film go mm-hmm. through this problem. There's one guy, Julian Richards, who I absolutely love, but he always plays the very tall, angular, creepy man in everything. He was mm-hmm. death and supernatural. He was in Hannibal as somebody who was killed. He was in, um, God, what is that show? Had Anna Silk in it as a, or a succubus. But it'll come back to me later. It's a Canadian mm-hmm. thing. Um, Lost Girl. There we go. He just kind of shows up in things as that creepy guy. But mm-hmm. he's a really good actor. But yeah. that's what he's been cast as and what every, every casting director is like, that guy. Um, mm-hmm. Peter Schaefer is actually buried in Highgate Cemetery with his mm-hmm. partner, Robert Leonard. Um, mm-hmm. He was gay. He didn't write a whole lot about it. Didn't try to make it a big deal um, because he did not want to have to deal with that aspect of, of hatred in the 70s. Um, don't blame him. He ended up dying in 2016 while on a trip to Ireland three weeks after his 90th birthday. So he lived quite a while. He did. Actually, so there's two different parts of Highgate Cemetery. There's Mm -hmm. like the older portion where you have to go on a tour to get through because unfortunately with Highgate Cemetery, it was a for-profit business for a long time. And once those Mm -hmm. plots sold for the most part, the company ran out of money and Mm -hmm they did what a lot of companies do and they folded and they disappeared. Mm-hmm. Well, Highgate Cemetery was not taken care of for a very long time. So mm-hmm. the newer section is not dangerous. You can go in there. There's actually like a bust for Karl Marx as well as his grave. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff, including a grave that's really cool that just spells out the words dead, which was also a famous writer. And just, it's, it's really interesting to kind of walk through there yourself. Douglas Adams is buried there. But the mm-hmm. other portion um used to be used before they gated the whole area um for hammer horror films so christopher lee was out there all the time and you know very famous horror actors would be filming in the cemetery and i love one of our tour guides said that um there was another tour guide who had worked there for a while and he came back and one of his favorite stories was that he was cutting school and he had snuck into the cemetery with his best friend to smoke cigarettes and they were hiding behind a tombstone and they didn't realize that Christopher Lee was in the cemetery filming that day for a hammer horror film. And he Mm -hmm. walked right up behind the grave, put his hands over it and basically was like, what are you doing in the cemetery? And those boys booked it and never did it again. Yeah, that would, yeah, that, that, that'll do it. That, that, that will, uh, that will do it. It kind Um, of sucks because there are certain graves you can't really get to like Rosetti's family. Um, without a tour guide thankfully I had a super cool tour guide it was like you want to see where Christina and um, the love of my life I can't remember her name right now Rosetti's wife come on Mm -hmm. uh, Siddle Elizabeth Siddle um, were buried and I was like hell yeah and um, so she walked us over there and we had to be very very careful and she's like yeah we have tree limbs full all the time we have graves that have been covered up that we have friends of the Highgate Cemetery start to clean up and Mm -hmm. then they find somebody that they didn't realize was buried in the cemetery. Um, yes. If you have family members that are buried there, you can get like a special card so you can visit them, um, which is interesting. So you don't have to obviously pay every time you go in. But I thought that was fascinating. Anyway. Yeah. I was just going to let you run with it. Um, so now we get to the, to the meat of it. Did we have to read this in school? Uh, I did, as I mentioned to Dr. Diaz's poetry class. Uh, or was it a poetry class? Oh, some kind of reading class. Uh, fuck you, I hate this. <laughs> I, I didn't have to read it um, until a week ago. Yes. And my brain is still going, what? Yeah, that's, that, that's about it. That's about accurate. Um, We'll have some resources for you in show notes, as always. Uh, our next book is another book that I hate more than anything else. Because we're continuing pain month, and I'm sorry. Yeah, we're doing pain month a little bit early uh, to make room for some other content that you'll learn about later. Uh, we're reading a separate piece by John Knowles. This was the book that ruined my life as a freshman. 
because I no sorry sophomore sophomore because I didn't freshman for me that if you broke your leg and then you broke it again that pieces of bone marrow could go directly to your heart and kill you I mean it can if you need to be a plot contrivance listen this book just made me paranoid for the next three years of school were you breaking your leg frequently no but I was a very accident prone child was it like were you just flinging yourself down staircases the amount of scars i have from stitches in the 80s and early 90s is crazy let's just put it that way fair and valid uh tori where can the good people find us we're all over social media we are on unfortunately required reading on facebook which has mostly mm-hmm. turned into me posting tiktok videos um unfortunately rr on twitter unfortunately required mm-hmm. on instagram and unfortunately required reading.com mm-hmm. if you just want one place to go to or you can reach absolutely out via email at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com this is the point in the podcast where we'd like to thank our financial supporters it is uh with your support that we're able to continue to uh support gargoyles and make donations to the saint vincent de paul society in the name of the mothman and possum baby and possums uh if you'd like to join their hollowed ranks you may do so at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading um if you'd like to suggest a book for the podcast or have a funny story you can do so also an email um a friendly reminder that the pandemic is not over just because you're over it um we're unfortunately still very much in this uh wretched miasma but in that, I do hope that you all remain safe and do your best to find light in this insurmountable darkness. On that note, uh, go read a book. <laughs>